For the last 26 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist. And in that time, I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you to become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLM, and this is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. One, two, one, two, what's going on? It's your boy DJ TLM, and you're tuned into the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. Like I said, I'm your host, DJ TLM, and this is my QA show for DJs. I try to answer as many DJ related questions as possible. Uh, just to add some value to the DJ community. If you're new to my podcast and if you're new to me, I've been DJing for 27 years. I'm originally a hip-hop DJ, but I play all sorts of styles now. I've organized events. I've been a tour DJ for an artist for the last 21 years. Uh, I've done a lot of shows, a lot of gigs, and I just try to show things from my perspective. And at the same time, I try to learn not just from the questions I receive, but also from the stories that you tell me. In the comments section on my YouTube channel, DJ TLM TV, in emails, on social media, uh, I'm DJ TLM everywhere. So I have a couple of questions and I'm going to get into that first question right now. That question is, do you have any tips on building a music scene in a small town? I've talked about this on many occasions. I still believe one of the best ways to build when you're just starting from zero and you have to start to hopefully build up, create a fan base for yourself. And maybe you're in a small town where not a lot of people are into your music, or at least there are not a lot of parties where your type of music is played. Or even if they have those parties, it's hard for you to get into that scene, into the network, because there's already a lot of DJs there. You don't know any of those DJs. It's not always easy. Of course, networking will help. But if you're a newer DJ and you don't have a resume yet, it could still be pretty hard to get in there, even if you start to network. So I believe one of the best things any DJ can do, if you want to start your own lane or build your own fan base, or more importantly, just get the chance to gain experience you should organize your own events. Now, you need to look at this as something very small. So I'm not talking about organizing events in clubs where you can hold like hundreds of people. No, that's already way too big. You have to really take it extra small. So I think the best case scenario is to try and find a bar where they do have like a sound system or maybe even they have a DJ play there sometimes, but maybe not, but just a bar that doesn't hold a lot of people. If the bar has a small dance floor, that's perfect, of course, but basically that's what you want, like something that could hold maybe 50 people, maybe a little bit more, but something that will feel very cozy when you have like 30 people in there. That way you can start by just having an event where you just have your friends and maybe a couple of people that you know or are familiar with that would like the style of music you play. Invite those people, have a blast, and take it from there. Hopefully after that first one, you can get your friends to spread the word and get more people to come to the next event. But this is not something that's gonna build really fast. You just have to start doing it. But even if you can create a place where the 50 people in, you t in your town who like the style that you play can come because they currently don't have a place to go, 
if your event is the place where they can come, that is still a great way to start building your own little scene and fan base. But like I said, the most important thing is you get the chance to play in front of people, which is invaluable. You can practice at home all day, but playing in front of people is something that is just, I mean, that's the thing that's taking it to the next level. Even if you practice all day for months or even years at home, it's not the same thing as playing in front of people. And it doesn't have to be a large crowd. Playing in front of 10 people when you're only used to playing at home is already a big change. But playing in front of like 30, 40 people or 20 people you don't know, Ooh, different ball game. So if you get the opportunity to host an event like that once a month, maybe more, but once a month at least, and you guys can get together. And over time, if it's a cool vibe, more people should want to come. And once you have your first couple of events, you can also make sure you record your mixes, your live performances, uh, you take photos, you shoot some video, you can post that and hopefully find people who like that music as well within the area. Now, if you do this with, for instance, Facebook, you can actually target people within your area who like a certain style of music to make sure that they now know that there's an event where their type of music, music is being played. That's a great way to do it. I mean, we had to do it just with flyers and word of mouth back in the days, but now you have things like targeted advertising, uh, which really changes the game as well. But if you're in a small town, make sure you get that word of mouth going. I would definitely start there. So this next question is about DJing and smoking weed. Let's get into the question. Thanks for everything you do. Your videos help me out a lot. I'm going step by step. Everything is fine, but weed is the problem sometimes. Every time I mix, I need to smoke and I enjoy doing it. But that's bad on the long run, I know it. How do I overcome bad habits? All right, so you tell me that every time you mix, you need to smoke. Now, if that's the case, that you actually can't mix or can't DJ without smoking, uh, then I would say that is an issue. So the last part of that question is the most important part, and that is the part where you're asking uh, how to deal with bad habits. And this is something that I think all of us deal with. We all have certain habits that we feel we should change, and therein lies the answer. As long as you feel that it is something you should change, it's not gonna happen, most likely, or you're just gonna make that change for a short while. I've had that. I mean, my problem was nutrition. Not the food as much, I wasn't eating too unhealthy, but at times I would just eat too much. And the sugary drinks like sodas, energy drinks and Coca-Cola. Over the years I've consumed so much. I mean, oh, it's horrible. The amounts of, um, of that that I have uh, consumed over the years, like ridiculous. That was my drug, sugar is crack. That's a fact, you can definitely be addicted to that. Um, and I knew that entire time, like, hey, I should not drink as much or stop if, if, very important, I want to make a change. And I've, I've had, like, my issues where my weight would go up and down. Never to the extreme, but I wasn't always happy with the weight. And if you're not happy, then you need to make a change. But somehow... It just didn't come from deep within. So as long as it's not something that you truly want from within, 
it's going to be really hard to make that change because if it's not coming from within, then it's just a matter of, hey, I should. And I should is not enough. For me, that change only came this year, actually, where and when I truly felt from within that I wanted to make a change. I'm at a point in my life where I feel I only want to strive to becoming the best version of myself with everything I do, including my health. I want to be around for a long time for my kids as well, for my family as well. So I just feel now from within that it's time to make that change. Now, when you reach that point, when you have that feeling inside, it's no longer a question of I should, it's now I must. That's a major difference and I can feel that. That is something that is not just uh, nice to say and I have to salute Tony Robbins. I know for a fact that I ran into a video of him where he was talking about that years ago. but it's, it's true. Once you feel it, it's true. Because as soon as I had that feeling from within that I really need to change, it was as easy as can be. Because I made the conscious decision right then and there that I'm not drinking the sugary drinks anymore. It's not like a temporary stop. It's out of my life. I've removed it from my life. I walked into the grocery store the next day, walked right through the aisles with all the Red Bulls and Monsters and Rockstars and Coca-Cola, not tempted, not even for a second, because I already decided that I don't want that in my life anymore because I want to make a change. And in the last like five, five and a half months, I've lost over 30 pounds just because of that, especially the sugary drinks, also the rest of my nutrition, I'm just not eating too much anymore because I must. Wasn't the workouts. I mean, working out is good. It's important. But for the first like three months, I hardly worked out. I've started to do more workouts now. But like that, like the weight loss, most of that was nutrition. So that all happened as soon as I did that. And in this case, I know it's going to be easier to maintain because I've changed within because I've lost weight in the past because you can set your mind to it for a while, like, hey, I should. Then you do it for a couple of weeks, couple of months, and then um, you have that relapse. In this case, that's going to be a little bit different because it's not, I'm not just doing it because I should. So for you, it might be difficult right now because it might not be a real issue for you. You might just feel like, hey, like you said in that question, I know it's not really good. But as long as it's just that feeling, like, eh, I know it's not really good, that's not gonna really be enough to motivate you to actually make that change. That's only gonna happen when you really want to make that change or just know from within, like, hey, I need to make that change now. So that's up to you, and when that will happen, uh, only you will know. But I know that that is where it changed for me. I should change to I must. Hey TLM, thanks very much for all your helpful content. I do have a question and I'm curious to see what you think about it. I will probably have to play a five hour set this weekend. I've done it in the past. First time went great, second time not so great. The problem during that second set was the crowd went through many different moods during the six hours of my set and sometimes I just felt I wasn't catching up with their mood. Mostly they wanted bangers all the time. But is that really possible? And how can I keep up with the crowd when I get tired during such a long set?
Any suggestions would be much appreciated. So that's a great question, and I have to admit, I haven't played a six-hour or even five-hour set in quite a long time, but I can tell you that, yes, indeed, playing bangers for six hours or five hours is not the way to go. And even though the crowd might have given you some kind of um, the feeling that they wanted bangers nonstop, if you would have given them five hours of the bangers they like, they wouldn't have been able to maintain either. They, they would need a break every now and then. So when it comes to the long, long sets, I feel in most occasions it's going to be impossible to do that. You're going to have to have some highs and lows in there, give the crowd an actual break. Now, there might be certain events out there where that's not the case, and if those parties are around, I'm pretty sure those people are on something because otherwise I don't see how you're going to be bouncing for five straight hours without needing a break. But in my experience, you do want to have some nice ups and downs in there because um, that up is not really going to be up if there's not also uh, a down. Now, that down doesn't mean that you take it all the way back down, but uh, uh, you can't be peaking all the time. Um, now, when it comes to an event like that, uh, I think it also depends on what type of crowd you have there. So uh, in this case, was it a specific event around a specific type of music or was it one of those events where you have like people who like all sorts of different stuff. So some people will like this, some people like that. Um, that also makes it harder because you're not going to be able to please the entire crowd the entire time. Like, for instance, if you're playing a five-hour set and it's a five-hour techno set for a techno crowd, then it's going to be a little bit easier to please that crowd, like the majority of that crowd. Of course, you're always going to have people in there who have a specific taste and they won't like everything you play. But for the most part, they will enjoy because they came to hear techno. Now, if you're playing a private event where they have everyone there from uh, the, the 13-year-old nephews and nieces to grandma, then you're going to have people in there who will not like this and will like that, and the other people will want to hear some Johnny Cash, and the the, the kids will want to hear some Lil Nas X. You're going to have a different scenario where it's going to be really hard to please the majority. So in that case, you're probably going to play a lot of stuff for the younger crowd, then maybe hit them with a nice little part that's for the older crowd, like the older crowd, you don't have to please them that long. They're probably not going to be as active on the dance floor compared to the younger people. When I say younger, I'm not just talking teenagers. I'm talking all the way up to 30 or whatever. But when I say older, I'm talking like you have the 50 and 60-year-old people in there. Um, it's going to be different. But um, I feel you should always just try to build like some highs and lows in there because, yes, you're going to need a break as well. And... Like, in some cases, it's going to be hard to to uh, uh, keep that crowd going the entire time. But I think you just said in there that it was sometimes hard for you to follow their mood. You should try to change that around a bit. And you want to actually be leading them instead of following that crowd. So, yes, you're there to please the crowd. Um, 
But if a crowd goes into a certain mood, I don't know exactly how you saw that, but uh, it's not like you have to follow them there. So sometimes you might have to just make that conscious decision like, hey, the next couple of tracks are going to be a little bit more uh, down, just a little bit less energy, just that break before I go back into bangers. And even if someone comes up and starts asking for bangers, you know that you're going to be going back to the bangers in a couple of tracks. But there's going to be people in there that will take that moment, use that moment to go get that drink, have their little break, and they're going to be energized to come back for uh, the rest of the set. Uh, But it is kind of hard to judge if you're not actually at that event because I can say a bunch of things that might not apply to the crowd that you were playing for because crowds are different. I'm going to actually double check. Maybe I missed something you said in the beginning. I don't remember if it was like a a private event. No, it just says a five-hour set. So it doesn't say what type of party uh, it was uh, or if you're even the only DJ playing or anything like that. But... Yeah, man, don't don't go for five hours of bangers. Even if you feel like they want that, nah, I don't believe that. So build some breaks in there as well. You need a rest. They need a rest. If it's in like a venue where they need to make sure that the bar is getting their drinks, they don't want the people on the dance floor for five hours straight either. They want people at the bar as well. So uh, they're going to be happy if people hit that bar sometimes. So I hope that helps you out. So quick question in between. I want to learn tone play. Any website you can recommend to learn from scratch? Um, I don't know if there's a website that's based around tone play. If there's no tone play tutorials on YouTube, um, then I'm actually not sure. I mean, I know there's a couple of places where you have like uh, specific routines, like the Superhero DJ website. They'll have some routines uh, with tone play in there. But even those uh, videos only show you how the routine is done. It's not a total breakdown of tone play. Um, But look, tone play really is just what the name already suggests. You're going to take a tone and you're going to play with it. And that is possible now because a lot of the DJ software allows you to take a tone, a sound, I mean, and play that in different tones. So you can use the performance pads to trigger that same sound in different keys. And that allows you to play melodies. Now, tone play actually is taking a sound, playing that sound in different keys to play a melody, mostly melodies of a track that already exists. So you're playing one track, then you take one sound out of that track, use that sound to play a melody, and that melody is going to be a melody that we can recognize And after you play that melody, you play the original song where that melody came from. I have to add, I don't like a lot of tone play routines that I see. I feel a lot of DJs don't do it correctly. So they do what you're supposed to do in tone play, get a sound played in different keys to play that melody, um, but they'll be off key. So they're playing something and I can hear what they're playing, but they're not playing it in the right key, or they're using a sound that just makes it sound totally different than the original, and then when they go from playing that melody to playing the original, there's just such a big difference in the two sounds that I don't like it. 
I mean, I heard what they did. I understood what they did. But to me, that's not cool tone play. Then you have a couple of videos out there or a couple of routines out there where a DJ grabs a sound and starts playing a melody with that sound. And it sounds exactly like the original song. That is when I say, oh, that's that's a great job right there. You found a good one. Um, do I have any examples of that? No, I'm, I, for certain, I, I don't know which DJ it was. I definitely don't remember. Uh, I do think it was All the Way Up by Fat Joe. And they took one of the horn sounds in there. And they used that to play the Mi Gente melody. And sonically, it just sounded exactly the same. I don't know which DJ did that. Maybe a couple of DJs did that. But... It had that exact same sound and tone. When I hear that, even though it was pretty basic, then I'm like, yes, that works for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know any websites, but that is basically what tone play is. So um, um, there should be some tutorials on YouTube. Uh, otherwise, maybe I need to make one, but that's going to be a long time because I have a bunch of videos on a list on my to-do list besides for my DJ course that's still not done because it is a lot of work. So uh, don't expect one for me anytime soon. So the next question kind of relates to my own DJ situation. And the question is, can you limit yourself to just being a hip-hop, R&B, and popular reggae music DJ? I'm saying that because in my case for the last 30 years, basically my generation, it's all I've known and grew up listening to. Also, will I be able to get gigs just being this type of DJ and not an open format? By the way, I'm in the tri-state area, NYNJCT. Keep rocking. Much love. Uh, salute to you as well. Look, why I said that this is pretty similar to my own situation, uh, like, I'm a hip-hop DJ. That's my foundation. I come from hip-hop. That is what got me into DJing. Um, that is my main love, always. I play hip-hop. I added R&B to that pretty soon. And I also had, like, a collection of soul funk also because I just learned a lot from hip-hop music. I started to read, like, all the credits. They would have the sample credits in there. And that schooled me on a lot of artists from the soul funk era. So I started to do crate digging and find all these records uh, and play those records, sometimes even at parties. But... um. I added more styles over time, started to play some dancehall as well. And anytime I ran into a, a, a style or a genre I liked, I was like, yeah, cool. I like to play that. And I would add it. Not in a major way, but at certain events, I would play a lot of different styles. So I liked some of the UK Garage two-step stuff. Uh, I was definitely into New Jack Swing, even though that really relates to this like R&B and hip-hop, the up-tempo uh, style. And um, just some other stuff as well. Could be anything from like a UB40 to Madness or whatever. Uh, tracks that I grew up with and now I have them on vinyl and at certain parties I can just play them. But like for 90% of my gigs, it would be hip hop, R&B, maybe a little dancehall. Does that limit you as far as getting gigs? Um, it could because if you play everything, then there's definitely more opportunities out there. Uh, not being that 
every gig is going to be like an open format gig. But if you're uh, well versed in like 20 different styles and it's possible to book you as a DJ to play a hip hop event, but it's also possible to book you for a wedding where you have to play everything or an event where they want like uh, just some house music and that's also your thing or just soul classics and that's also your thing, you can do a lot more. For me, I stick to what I like. Like I said, I've added a lot of things over the years, but for instance, when it comes to dance hall, and I've had this recently where just uh, a colleague of mine called me up and he wanted to book me for an event he was doing where they were doing, um, let's say, dance hall, Afrobeats type of, uh, maybe soca type of event, Caribbean music all night long. And I just told him, like, nah, that's not for me. And he said, like, man, I know you could do this. And I said, yeah, I probably could, but I don't want to. I don't feel that is something I want to do. I'm perfectly content with playing my 10 minutes of dancehall here, maybe later on in my set 10 more minutes uh, or 15, whatever. But to come and play two, three, four hours of dancehall is just not my thing. So I lost that gig even though I was really asked and he was almost pushing me like, yeah, come on, do it. I was like, no, nah, that's not for me. So. That's an example of me basically losing a gig because I'm not playing that style. But I know I'm happier doing that. I've done corporate events where I was playing all sorts of music that just didn't really interest me. It's not like I hated it, but it was not my type of music. I did it, I played it, and at the end of those events, I just wasn't happy, or sometimes even during. Even though those events made me more money than the club shows I do because they definitely pay. Uh, but I found out then and there that that's not the most important thing for me. If I was in it for the money and I would just take a couple of those gigs every week because they pay a lot, I would probably be out of love with DJing within a couple of months. And I will not allow that to happen. So... Yes, you can definitely be a DJ and look, you're not just doing one style. You're not just hip hop, you're already talking about hip hop, R&B, and popular reggae music, so you're already versed in more styles when it comes to that. And I would say there's probably a lot of events out there where you could just play that style of music. So um, it could limit you, but it could possibly make you way happier just to play the styles you want to play. Um, so I feel it is an option. Just be aware of what you're doing, especially from a business point. Uh, I know there's people that get into DJing strictly from that business aspect, and they'll tell you to, that you're crazy not to just take everything. Let them do that. Uh, that did not work for me. And I mean, I've tried it. That's not for me. Uh, and I don't know if that would work for you. But if you feel like, hey, this is my this is my style. I grew up with this, 30 years of this. This is what I want to do. Then that's what you should do. Now, maybe later on you find out that there are styles that you possibly like as well that you could add to it and become a more well-rounded, all-rounded DJ. That can happen. Progress is always there. Um, but start with that as your foundation, the styles you actually really like. Let's talk about audio and mixing. And in this case, I'm not talking about mixing records. I'm talking about mixing sound. So the question is, 
I still need help figuring out how to make my posts slash mixes more professional sounding instead of recording the raw audio. Like if I'm recording the audio through Serato, how do I sync that up with the actual video and then post it? All right, now I've done a video about this on my YouTube channel, DJ TLM TV. So if you're listening to the podcast, make sure you check out DJ TLM TV on YouTube. Uh, I'm not sure how I called that video, but I would go to my channel and search for uh, audio video um, sync. That should probably do it. But look, here's the thing. You can just record a video and record your audio with an audio recorder or within your software, like yes, Serato can record your audio. And what you do then is you need to get a video editor. So in my case, I use uh, Adobe Premiere, but there's plenty different uh, um, software systems out there uh, depending on what you work with. I've worked with Sony Vegas for a long time. That allows you to do the same thing. I think iMovie and Windows Movie Maker also allow you to do this. And um, I mean, there's more out there, Final Cut, uh, uh, DaVinci Resolve, you name it. There's a lot of software out there. But you need some editing software that allows you to layer audio and video. So what you do then is you put your video file in there. That video file will also have audio because your video recorder, phone, whatever you use, is going to record the sound from the room there's gonna be audio there. That's not the audio you want in your end video, but that is gonna be something you use just to hear uh, where the video is, so when you're watching it. If you take that video with no sound, then you have no idea what's happening. So um, you put the video in your editing software. That's gonna give you one layer of video and a layer of audio that goes with the video. Then you add another layer, and that's the video, that's the audio, sorry, that you recorded within Serato, and the only thing you have to do now is you have to make sure you align the audio that you recorded with the audio from your video file. So they have to be in sync. So what you do is you find a certain point at the beginning of your mix and you find that point on your video file, you find that point in your audio file, and then you take both of those files from that point and you put them under each other in your uh, editing software. Now, that should almost have them aligned. They could still be a little bit off, but once you have it there, you can then listen to see if it's actually already in the right place. And maybe you're gonna have to move it a little bit forth, a little bit back to get it to sound uh, right, to get it to be in sync with the audio file from the video. Look. I'm not gonna get deeper into this in uh, uh, this podcast um, question answer uh, because you really need to check my video for that. I have that video. You know what, I'm gonna do this right now. While we're here, I'm gonna go into my YouTube channel and I'm gonna look up that video. So let me get into my videos, search, and that's gonna be uh, DJ TLM TV audio video. That's just what I'm going to call it now. And that should give me the video. Right, right, right. Damn it. I just told you guys this was going to be easy and I haven't found it yet. Oh, there we go. It's called How to Sync Audio and Video Tutorial on DJTLM TV posted four years ago. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast or if you're checking out this video, I'm going to leave the link 
in the description box down below so you can check that out. How to sync audio and video. That's gonna solve everything for you. So let's just keep this short because this is not something I wanna explain just by talking about it. Check out that video on the channel called How to Sync Audio and Video Tutorial. Link in the description box. That's gonna explain it all. Then you can actually see my video editing software and see how I layer the tracks, uh, sync them up, and then you're gonna have your good video with your good audio, and good audio makes a video 10 times better. That is a fact. Sometimes on Instagram, I'll post some of my live footage. In that case, it works, it's okay, but I prefer recorded audio because you're gonna hear everything better. It's always gonna sound better than just having it from uh, uh, the speakers in the room. That's just a fact. So that's it for episode 12, season two of the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs. I'm your host, DJ TLM. I'll be back very soon with another episode. Uh, make sure you check out all the podcast episodes uh, if you're new to my podcast and check out DJ TLM TV on YouTube. If you want to check me out on social, it's DJ TLM everywhere. And if you want to send me questions, you can do that on Instagram, in the DMs, in the comments, on YouTube, in the comments. Send me an email, DJ TLM TV at DJ I'm basically everywhere. But I have to add, though, uh, I'm not checking all of my social platforms as much. So I just saw that I had so many questions on Facebook and I hadn't checked that in uh, quite a while. Facebook is definitely not the best way to reach me. It's gonna be Instagram or YouTube comments or email. Um, that is your best chance to reach me. Uh, but I will every now and then check out all of those other places and try to answer all the questions I th uh, see there as well. All right, that's it. I have some more editing to do, some more work to do. So I want to thank you for tuning in and joining me for this podcast episode. Peace.